Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Radio. This is your host for tonight, Nick Pollock, senior editor over at RoarLionsRoar.com. And as always, and as I will be for the majority of this wonderful, long, beautiful offseason, tonight I am joined by my wonderful co-host and co-editor, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, how you doing tonight? Nick, I am doing great. Current editor, former intern, forever intern, all of the titles you can imagine. I am lovely. How are you? I'm doing just fine. You're, we, we really should, you should, you should still be listed as like what intern for life. Yeah. I, I think that's my, uh, my signature on the site is former intern slash forever intern. I, th- I think that'd be a good one. That's, that's probably a change we should make. That's how it um, exists. I have one question for you. Are you ready for the off season? I am ready for the off season. I, I think the off season is great. I wish it was like six months shorter, but, uh, Hey, it's the offseason. There's going to be a lot of fun roster stuff happening and coaching stuff happening. So, in short, not really. And and we here at Roar Lions Radio, we know that we don't necessarily have the best reputation over the years when it comes to being consistent with our offseason podcasting. That um, changes today. That changes today. And to be fair, you know, we are people with real jobs and it is hard to keep that schedule sometimes. Um, but Matt and I have made a, a firm commitment for this off season to continue bringing you quality content. Our goal is going to be get the going to be to get the content out to you every Wednesday. We hope to have a new podcast, but we have a lot of things planned already. We have, um, a whole what if series, uh, which is going to be chaos and hilarious, but we'll have a whole what if month. What uh, if we'll Bobby Petrino got hired instead of Joe Moorhead in 2016? I'm putting that one out there now. We don't have to do it, but I want to do it. Maybe that'll be that'll be for um, paying subscribers only. <laughs> I love that idea that people have, we have paid subscribers. Um, but aside from that, we'll spend plenty of time. Um, kind of, we'll we'll probably spend a little bit of time here coming up, kind of debriefing from the previous season. We'll do that on the site as well with a few articles. Um, but the long story short. We do plan to be much more consistent this year with our off-season podcasting. Um, and for those of you who were expecting maybe a, a signing day podcast a few weeks ago during the early signing period, that is coming. Those are coming. We're not totally sure the format we're going to u- do that with those yet, um, but those will be coming when traditional signing day comes around. Even though Penn State's full 2020 class is already signed, we know that, but we figured we would just save them for then just for sake of anything unforeseen and crazy happening. Now, Matt, this was a pretty eventful past week for Penn State football. Um, I think it all it all kind of started with new offensive line coach Phil Troutwine, who I have decided to pronounce with a German accent and call him Phil Troutwein. Um, but he took over for Matt Limegrover, who was contract. I believe his contract was just not renewed. I don't know if he was actually fired or not. I'm not. I don't totally remember, but uh, Phil Troutwine from Boston College. He was the offensive line coach the last two years there under Steve Adazio, who has now moved on to Colorado State, I think it was, or Colorado. Colorado State. Guys being dudes in the mountains. Guys being dudes in the mountains. That, that, sounds, like, that sounds like one of those shows on whatever channel, like not A&E. What's the channel with like mountain men or like Alaska, whatever? Because if you're in Alaska, say that, that sounds like it could be a Bravo show too. It could be a Bravo show. Steve Dodger should have his own show where it's just him like hiking the mountains. That'd be fun. I'd watch it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. Uh, but yeah, so Phil Troutwine, 
in as Penn State's new offensive line coach, brings a uh, a good pedigree for a guy who's only been coaching for a couple years now, won a couple national championships under Urban Meyer at Florida, bounced around the NFL for a few years, and all he's done since, be- all he did since becoming the offensive line coach at Boston College was, you know, create dudes. Their offensive line last year in 2019 Every single member of their starting five offensive line was named to either the first, second, or third all-ACC team. So that's a pretty great start for a position where I think we would agree that Penn State has improved over the last few years under Matt Limegrover, but they haven't been as good as we think they could be. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And a lot of you know I love Matt Limegrover so much because of our interactions on Twitter about Bruce Springsteen. Uh, but I think I think Trout Wine's going to signal a new era. I think it's important for them to go out there and get a young guy. Uh, it, it's really interesting to me that they, they did not renew Lime Grover or let him go, uh, whatever it ended up being, right ahead of this massive 2021 offensive line class. So I think they, they have a lot of faith in Troutwine to, to build some relationships, and they must think he's sticking around for a good bit of time, because I don't think Lime Grover was going to leave um, anytime soon uh, if, if he would not have gotten let go. So the fact that they went for such a young guy in such a crucial year makes me think Troutwine might be here for uh, for more than just a pit stop. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I, I think he's, I mean, he's a New Jersey kid. He spoke very highly of Penn State in the first couple interviews after he was hired. So it, it seems like a really good fit for both the coach and the team. Um, I agree. It is, I, I, it's interesting that Franklin was bold enough to make this move to go get a young guy because I think offensive line is one position where you can kind of get away with having an older coach who's maybe a little I don't I don't want to say Matt Longberg was out of touch with teenagers because I I think I think he's a I think it's fair to say he's a pretty hip guy he had a Bruce Springsteen cut out he was very in tune with uh with local Penn State Twitter 22 year olds so exactly exactly so I don't think that that was I don't think that was necessarily an issue um but I think it can be for older coaches sometimes and I think offensive line is one of those places you can kind of get away with it but I think if if Troutwine pays off the way that he seems like he could and he might I think this is going to end up being maybe one of Franklin's best coaching moves that he's made since he got to Penn State yeah I agree Uh, it it wasn't like a big splash name I don't think it's I think it's really hard to make a splash name higher um, at the offensive line coach position uh, but getting a really uh, a young guy who's, I think, play, he has played in the NFL. He bounced around a little bit. I think he's going to be able to relate to a lot of these high-level kids uh, j- just on a plane that Matt Limegrover just frankly couldn't. So I, I think having a young guy like that who's been in their shoes in the last, what is it, 15 years? Is that is that when he was in college? So relatively recently. So I yeah. think, and, and then with his track record of developing, you know, all AC caliber guys, you know, all across the offensive line is really going to go a long way, both in recruiting and for for developing a lot of these younger guys. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the recruiting side because this is obviously a huge cycle for Penn State, um, the 2021 class in recruiting. If you haven't been paying attention, they have a chance to grab what could very well be their best offensive line class ever. Uh, five-star Landon Tangwell from Maryland and five-star Nolan Rucci from uh, Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Rucci, they, a Penn State legacy? Penn State legacy, yep. They This, this has the makings of being arguably the best offensive line class they've ever had. They also have interest from a couple high four stars, one Tristan Lay from Virginia, uh, Wyatt Millam from West West Virginia, I believe. So there's some really big names out there that Penn State's hunting for right now. And I think the belief is that Troutline's combination of experience and youth and 
exuberance. He he has a, all the guys have spoken really highly in some interviews I've seen. So it it seems like it's it, it like you said it's a risky move considering some of those guys have already built pretty strong relationships with Matt Limegrover, but kind of in that same vein as him as a coach in general, it's a move that has a chance to really pay off handsomely. Yeah, I think it's. Excuse me. I think it's a good move both in the short term in the sense that you see a guy with direct results and had such a big class. And again, I, I really don't think they would have moved on from Lime Grover in such a crucial year if they didn't expect Trout Wine to be here, I'll say, three years, which which for a young guy like that, who, who is, I think is as talented of a coach and is going to be as sought after, I think that's going to be a huge win if they can keep him in Happy Valley for that long. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um and then aside from the offensive line, we also had a departure in the wide receivers coach area as Jared Parker jumped ship to become Neil Brown's new offensive uh, offensive coordinator over at West Virginia, which is a move that I don't think many people saw coming necessarily. He was here but, for a year exactly. The day he yeah. was the day he was hired by Penn State, the year to the date he left for West Virginia. So that that's that's surprising. Yeah, and I think that from what I could tell, the kind of the general consensus on the internet was, uh, it's not really that big a deal. Who cares? Wide receivers didn't really get that much better this past year. And while I'll, I'll say that's probably true, I don't think there were any major strides taken forward by this unit. They still suffered from drops. Um, they were pretty much the same blocking unit they always have been. They've always been a pretty good blocking receiving core ever since Josh Gaddis was here. Um, I mean, it, it is worth saying, though, that it's not it's not a good thing that Penn State's about to have their fourth wide receiver coach in four years. No, it, it's definitely not, especially losing out on Julian Fleming and with Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, another Pennsylvania guy committed to Ohio State. To not have that consistency, I think, is really, really hurting them on the recruiting trail. I, I, for everyone knows Franklin's the, the lead dog in this recruiting pack, but they need a guy like Josh Gaddis, who's been around and has had a proven track record to go out there and, and get the job done. So... It's not great. Players seem to like Parker. I think Parker was a really energetic guy, and KJ Hamler had a really nice thank you to him in his uh, declaration note. So it's it's a it's a tough loss, but I think when you go back and you look at all the stops Parker's had, he's never been a guy to really stay rooted in one place for too long. And when you know when you're a position coach and an offensive coordinator job opens up, especially at a Power Five, which really surprised me that he was considered for that job, and from his home state, he isn't he from Kentucky. No, he he played at Kentucky. He's from West Virginia. Oh, makes sense. So, you know, uh, good for good for Jared Parker. He seemed like he seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like the players liked him, and the receivers did get better. Although, to be fair, it was hard to get worse. Um, but yeah, it, it's easy to see why somebody like that, who I think has aspirations to be a head coach, would want to want to make a move up a rung in the coaching world. Yeah, it's like you said. There's no. It's not difficult to see why he made the move. It's unfortunate that Penn State is going to be searching for another wide receivers coach again, but this does give Franklin a chance to find someone who will hopefully stick around for at least a couple of years. Um, it's I think it's too early to really speculate on any candidates. Nothing has really been made public at all, and I don't expect anything to be made public. Uh, I mean, we heard that Phil Troutwine was a candidate, what, like an hour before he was hired, so it's... You know, Franklin's pretty good at keeping these things under wraps, so I imagine it'll just be, you know, just a random Tuesday one week that all of a sudden we'll have a new wide receivers coach. Yeah, I think we're going to get it pretty soon, just because the early enrollees have gotten to campus now, and, and winter workouts did did start up this week, so I think he's going to want to fill it sooner rather than later. Um, but again, they're not in a particular rush to go out there and get a guy, because right now you're not doing any, any work like that uh, that you're going to see on the football field. It's going to be about building relationships right now. 
So whoever they bring in uh, is just going to have to focus on that. So I do think the sooner the better, but uh, Franklin can really, uh, really take his time on this one. Yeah, exactly. So once Penn State does make a hire there, of course, we'll talk about it on the podcast. But since they haven't, we can't really do that right now. So... What if podcast idea Matt Linegrover's hired back to be the wide receivers coach? Mark that one down. What a twist. All right. Um, so the last thing we'll talk about before we get into our main topic tonight, um, with the deadline for the NFL draft declaration being what, Tuesday? Uh, Monday or t- isn't it the 20th? So Monday night, Tuesday, early Monday next week, okay. let's call it. Yeah. Um, that deck, that uh, deadline is coming up. Most of the players across the country have already made their decisions in that regard. Um, some big names that will interest Penn State fans that are not Penn State names. Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan has decided to declare. And, and with- I'm sorry, Tariq Black had entered yep. the transfer portal. So Michigan's wide receivers core is, yikes. Nico Collins, actually no, didn't Nico Collins declare also? Uh, I think he did, now that you say yeah. it. I was going to say Nico Collins is back, but I was actually thinking of Ronnie Bell. So they still have Ronnie Bell next year, but that might kind of be it. Yeah, uh, not not great. But hey, they hired Bob Shoup today. They so hired Bob Shoup today to did. coach, what, their linebackers? It's probably safeties or something like that. No, Zordich is still there. Probably linebackers, somewhere along the defensive line. I, I am mildly surprised that Franklin hasn't, I mean, I guess we haven't had an opening at corners in a while, but I am surprised that he hasn't tried to poach Zordich. And maybe he has. I don't know. But um, I, I I don't know. I kind of have the feeling that Zordich is going to end up on the Penn State staff at some point. Yeah, Zordich is, is too much of a last name, too closely associated with Penn State, especially in the past you know 15 years. Um, so I think at some point, you know, if that does open up, I, I think that's a call Franklin makes. And I think that's a guy who would take it really quickly. Yeah. yeah. And... Actually, I'm going to I'm going to note that to myself right now because I have another Zordich related thought for later on in this podcast, but we'll get there Um, elsewhere around the Big Ten and around the country at Ohio State uh, running back J.K. Dobbins and defensive end Chase Young both declared for the draft. Shockingly, Chase Young's statement to TMZ that he wasn't sure yet didn't turn out to be true. Can you believe that? Why would you why straight up if I I don't understand why Chase Young wouldn't just be like, yeah, no, why would I go back? Like, I'm going to be the number two pick. Like, I I never understood that. Like even like even Saquon after the uh, after the um, Fiesta Bowl was like I have to think on it and it's like the next day he declared like you can just flat out tell us like no one's gonna be offended if you if you say like yeah I, I understand what an immense talent I am but I am happy he is gone. Do you think you could count on your fingers the number of NFL draft declaration stories that TMZ has broken to the public? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, it do you think there's many. like a really lame one like of like somebody who optioned to like to declare early that TMZ is like oh we got to get the scoop on this. Like, I I could definitely see them falling for somebody like posting a note on Twitter, like the one the Ohio State kid posted. Did you see that where he I think he was graduating, but he his whole note was like, thank you to all the guys in front of me that were so awesome and made it so I never actually had to step on the field and try to play in a real game. Thank you to Jerome Baker for catching the interception in the spring game to cover up my worst pass blocking rep of all time. I think it started out with I will be declaring for the NFL draft mostly because I'm out of eligibility. That was funny. That was really well done. Shout out to that guy. That's the kind of thing that I could see TMZ falling for. Yeah. Or like, um, uh, what was the name of the Notre Dame quarterback who declared as like a redshirt sophomore who was not that good and didn't last that long in the league? Uh, are you talking about uh, Deshaun Kaiser? 
Oh, that was it, Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, like they thought they had to break that one, and no one's like, no one, no one thought Deshaun Kaiser was gonna make it, but they thought that was like the biggest scoop. He did, he did stick, stick around with the Packers, Packers for a few years, at least, as the backup. Oh, hey, good for him. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, Wap Fillier from Indiana is staying at Indiana for another year. That's big news for them. He was a really really dynamic threat for them even though he got hurt in the Penn State game and barely played so Penn State fans didn't get to see a whole lot of him um then at Ohio State Sean Wade the cornerback is uh back for one more year really surprising he was I thought he was going to be a top 15 pick really surprising there and if not top 15 I think he could have pretty easily been a assured first round pick and if not early second you know but uh I mean on, on the other hand it's now next year he's going to be the dude in the secondary he has a chance to improve his stock even more but he also has a chance for it to drop i think he he wasn't perfect this year i think he definitely had he was not nearly on the level of jeffrey okuda so i think i mean i would assume his mindset is that with another year of another year there he can get to that level but it's definitely a gamble for him one that you don't normally see guys take yeah, especially with you know how much risk there is. Uh, but he could, again, like you said, with uh, with Chase Young and Okuda gone, he could be the star of that Ohio State defense. So that's a very attractive concept. So it, it, I was really surprised, but you know now that you say that, it is kind of understandable as to why somebody would want to do that. And then also on the national stage, uh, running back Alabama running back Najee Harris is going to be back <coughs> next year. That's great news for Alabama, especially as they'll be breaking in a new starting quarterback. Um, and then basically everybody on LSU is gone in one way or another. Um, they've had at least, what, like six guys declare on both sides of the ball. Yeah, OB, OBJ handed them out some cash, and then they bolted right away because they knew the, the NCAA can't take what what's not theirs. I'm not, sure this podcast, I'm not sure this podcast can handle all my thoughts on this whole OBJ thing, so we'll leave that to the side, but... Pretty much everyone on LSU is gone. Joe Brady is off to become Matt. Actually, man, we can talk about Matt Rule, too. Matt Rule is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and Joe Brady is his offensive coordinator. What a difference a week makes. Yeah, right? That, that seems actually going to be really fun. Uh, draft KJ Hamler. Seriously. I, the A wide receiver core in the NFL of DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and KJ Hamler would be the most, uh, probably the most unorthodox receiving core we, we have seen, at least in the last 20 years in the NFL to, to have that much speed and that much versatility, but to not have a big guy is pretty unheard of. And the league and McCaffrey, just all the, all the speed and and space. Yeah, seriously. No, uh, no Luke Keekly though. Yeah. What? Oh man, that was a huge, what was that? Two days ago? Yeah. That was was gigantic news day, right? Yeah. What happened? What happened in a very, in a very short time frame? Man. Um, yeah, so I think that pretty much covers the country when it comes to NFL declarations for Penn State. Um, we've already talked about Utah Gross Matos and KJ Hamler declaring on the podcast. Um, <clears throat> other guys that we're still waiting to hear about. Shaka Tony has yet to make a public announcement of his intentions. Lamont Wade implied via his Instagram that he'll be back next year, but we haven't heard any def- anything definitive from him. So if we don't hear anything, then I guess he's back. Um and then there's a few other guys that we haven't we haven't really gotten any transfer news from Penn State. I imagine that will change. There's definitely plenty of candidates, guys like um, 
Daniel Joseph, Shane Simmons, guys who have been on campus for a while who have probably graduated by this point that will have the option to transfer if they want to. Um, not saying those guys will or should, just kind of picking out names that would fit that bill. So I'm sure as we go forward, there will be some of those, but it's nothing nothing definitive yet on that front. And then... Yeah, I think last year a lot of the transfer news didn't really come out until the early stages, like leading into spring ball. So kind of when I think people are getting a good feel for what the depth chart looks like. So, obviously, a lot of people are seeing transfer portal stuff happen. Like, former uh, Penn State target and Notre Dame quarterback Phil Jerkovic going over to Boston College. That was a that was a big one in transfer portal, portal news. Um, but for, traditionally for Penn State, that's going to start coming here in the next six to eight weeks if there is a lot of movement there. Yeah. So, we'll see on that front. Um, I think the only other real news I can think of, there's some, I don't know, some cool things that happened for Penn State this week. Chris Goblin. Um According, According to Pro, to Pro Football, Football Focus, Focus since, since 2015, 2015, Chris Godwin has the lowest drop rate in the entirety of the NFL. That bests some guys that, you know, if, you, if you're talking about the NFL and you talk about reliable targets, names that come up, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, Doug Baldwin, uh, he's off his rocker now, but Antonio Brown, and Chris Godwin's 2.2% drop rate, better than all of them, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's been fantastic, especially in a very, um, in a very pass happy offense. I, I, I'm not a big NFL fan, um, but I'd imagine he gets a lot more targets than a lot of the other guys. So to have such a low drop rate is a real testament to the kind of talent he is at such a young age. Still, yeah, had a, he had 121 targets this year and had 86 receptions. At the, at the beginning of the year, Bruce Arian said that he was going to be a hundred catch guy, and if he hadn't missed the last two games of the year, he would have been. So that's pretty. I mean, one, Bruce Arians is awesome, so good for him for calling that out. But uh, Godwin is well on his way to – he has one more year left on his rookie deal and because he was a, what, third or second-round pick or third-round pick? Um, that means his contract's only four years, so he's going to be in line for a major payday after the 2020 season. So good for him. Yeah, and Jameis Winston was an answer at Trivia Night this week for his 30-30 season. Good for you. I got it right. Well done. Thank you, sir. Very excited about it. And then the, the last bit of Penn State news I can think of, uh, good old Dan Chisena picking up an MVP award for the, what what was that game called? Uh, the spy, something spiral bowl. Um, it was it was, it was was down here in Florida. Uh, don't, I, don't tell me. I, I want it to be called the spiral bowl. Yeah, we'll call it the spiral bowl. I'll tell you what, Dan, Dan Chisena is going to be the kind of guy who latches on to the league for like six years. Because he's, oh, yeah. you can't teach that kind of speed. He's he, he's gonna he's gonna find his way into, somewhere into training camp, and he he might stick around for a good little bit. So hey, good for him. He could stick around just purely as a special teamer alone. I, there's not a, a ton of NFL teams that keep guys just for special teams at this point. So he probably will have to prove that he can at least somewhat consistently catch the football just in case. But I I mean it's not it's not hard to see him having a nice little career for himself. Which is crazy. Yeah, right? So, yeah, good for him. Um, that's the kind of guy that, that very rarely is, is a walk-on at, at big-time schools because he'd be playing at a lot of uh, G5 schools a lot more consistently. So to get another guy like that, that, that Penn State can kind of say, hey, look at us. We developed this guy who was a track athlete for a couple of years. Imagine what we can do to you, five-star receiver. I think that's going to that's gonna go a long way. Exactly. And then a quick note to our Facebook commenters and Twitter replies, just because Dan Chisena is a white, fast receiver does not mean you need to compare him to Julian Edelman. Completely different player. Completely different player. That's all we're going to say on that. I really want somebody to compare him to something like somebody doesn't even make any sense. 
Like he's Randy next, Moss. Like, he's the next Vernon Davis. Like doesn't even match <laughs> at all. Just like I just want someone to have that take. Like yeah, when I watched Dan Chazena, I just saw a lot of Vernon Davis. I think that he's be the hysterical. next. He's the next Ryan Ramchuk. <laughs> That'd be awesome. All right, so let's move on to the main kind of the the main course of our podcast tonight. Uh, Matt put in the extreme and extreme effort, both mentally and time consuming effort to put together this voting for our top picks for Penn state in the past decade at each position. And we've been posting them on the site as we go. Um, so we're just, tonight we're gonna, just going to break down the offensive choices and we can go into a little more detail about maybe why we think those guys were chosen correctly or why we disagree with the way that our staff voted. Um, but I will note that um, we're recording this right now on Thursday today, the um, top five cornerbacks posted tomorrow. The top five safeties will post. And then on Monday, the tw- 20th, Monday, the 20th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, the top five special teamers will post. And at which point we will post our all decade team. But over this weekend, we'll also be putting out a Twitter poll to let you vote on who you think belongs on that all decade team. So we'll have the Roar Lions Roar team, and then we'll have the public vote team. So if you don't already follow at RLR, at RLR blog on Twitter, make sure you do that so you can be a part of the voting. And uh, if you're looking for the voting, like let's say like you're really eager and it's Friday night and you're just like, wow, I really want to go vote and they're not posted yet. If you tweet at PSUMAT2005 where the voting, ask him where the voting is, he will post it immediately, I promise. If enough people tweet at him, tweet at that account. He won't at all be upset. Um, that's that's why he's here. We hired him specifically for that purpose. So please, please feel free to let him know that you need the poll. Again, that's at PSU Matt 2005. Not 2004, 2005. Keep that in mind. All right. Quarterbacks. I think it's fair to say that, <clears throat> I don't know, probably not the most runaway position because they're the, the running backs. Saquon Barkley was a running back here, but... I, I don't know. Was there anyone even remotely close to Trace McSorley as the top pick at quarterback? No. So uh, let's actually go through, and I'll, I'll pull it up right now, and let's let's actually read what the top five voting were. So uh, at number five was Tommy Stevens. Uh, pretty, quarterback's a tough one because unlike pretty much every other position in football, uh, you don't really platoon quarterbacks unless you're Penn State in, like, 2005. Um so it was kind of hard for us to go about doing this, but we still wanted to keep it as the five at each position. So, so number five was Tommy. Uh, number four was Sean Clifford. Uh, number three was Christian Hackenberg. Number two was uh, my lovely son, even though he's older than me, Matt McGloin. <laughs> and number one was Trace McSorley. So uh, I, I actually voted, surprisingly, I voted Hackenberg above McGloin in, in this poll, but everything else matched up pretty well. Um, everyone knows how I feel about Trace McSorley. I think, I think he's the best to ever do it here. Uh, he he was a you know really great system for him, but but to dock him for the system he played in is kind of ridiculous in my mind. Um, I, I this one was as easy as any of them have been for me. Yeah, I think I think my voting was actually the exact order it ended up. Um, <clears throat> and I should note that myself and uh, our other editor Bill, really, when it comes down to it, we are the only people truly qualified to vote in this poll because our Penn State fandom dates back exactly to 2010. So, you know, just throwing that out there. Um, is, that when you got yeah. to Penn, is that when you got to Penn State? It was in 2010? Yes, it is. Oh, you're so old. <laughs> See, that's funny because most everybody else tells me I'm so young. Age. Although I am, I am getting, I am only two years away from 30 now, so. 
That's terrifying. I know. Whew. All right, moving on. Trace McSorley. Yeah, I, this was, <clears throat> to me, this is the easiest choice out of all the positions, even, even, in more, even more so than Saquon Barkley, honestly, because running back has had some really fantastic players. I love Matt McGloin. I love Christian Hackenberg. Neither of them hold a candle to what Trace McSorley did while he was here. And yeah, maybe if maybe if one of them or really anyone else on this list, maybe if Tommy Stevens had had four years, who knows? If anyone else had been in, gotten to spend time in Joe Moorhead's system, who knows? But the fact is they didn't, and the fact is that Trace McSorley holds the base like good number of the quarterback records at Penn State now. He's the clear the clear top quarterback of this decade. So I'm the one who pulled all the stats for for a lot of this stuff when I when I went through and wrote the article. And my favorite stat in the world to find was that uh, first of all, both Christian Hackenberg and Matt McGloin have a have a have a catch in their career, and Jason McSorley did not, which I, I get, but it kind of surprised me. Also, I really want to know what game Matt McGloin had a catch in. I think I vaguely remember it because I'm pretty uh, sure it was Iowa. Was it? Was it? Did um oh number twenty uh, Devin Smith? Did Devin Smith throw it to him? I vaguely oh, remember it on an first end of all, around. it's Davon Smith. Oh, he wow. was my he was my first ever favorite Penn State football player. I don't think you did, but now I need to. I feel hey, like it was a reverse, if I remember here. correctly. It was a reverse, and McGloin had to like go up a little bit to catch it and took a pretty good shot, if I remember correctly. So that that's amazing yes. to me that Matt McGloin has a catch I actually, in his career. Actually, now thinking back, um, when I used to be at Black Shoe Diaries in SB Nation. I used to make a hype video before every season. And now that I really think about this closely, I believe as part of the 20, either the 2012 or 2013 video, I'm pretty sure I added a clip of McGloin after making that catch, trying to shake a dude at the goal line and it going horribly, horribly wrong. No, oh man, I really, I, I need to look this up when we're done here. We'll find it. Because I totally, we'll, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll, we should tweet it out, too. We'll find it. Well, yeah, we'll get it. Um, I, I remember Hackenberg's a little more closely, or a little a little better. I know he I know he didn't score. Oh, no, he did score. That's right. Yeah, Nick Scott. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah took, he, took a, he took a good shot on it. Was that the, was that the, was that the Halloween game that Anthony Zettel wore, a, uh, wore like a Jason mask in the press room <laughs> afterwards? Was that the same game? It may have been. That's amazing. We'll we'll talk more about Anthony Zettel when we talk about the all defensive decade team next week. Cause what a treat he was. I miss him. I see what you did there. A tree. Ha ha ha. Hey oh. All right. So yeah, that's quarterbacks. It you know it's I I think nine out of ten people that you poll on the street who are Penn State fans would probably vote the same way that our poll came out. Honestly. Yeah, the one spot I could see being really different is just Hackenberg over McGloin, but I can totally see why McGloin ends up above Hackenberg in this in this exercise yeah and we should note matt mcgloin set to start his xfl career in just a few weeks here going to be the quarterback for what they're the new york renegades is that who they are something like that i think so that's perfect for him god bless him running backs matt tell us about running backs all right so uh so running backs um oh yeah by the way uh, we also had an honorable mention and for uh, for quarterbacks it was rob bolden mostly because dj crook didn't have enough stats really to qualify and this is where I once again note that I have a, oof, I think it's like a 11 by 15 glossy signed framed photo of Rob Bolden sitting, just waiting to be hung up one day. I, can I, you want to know something funny? I have one of Matt McGloin hanging up in my room. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, so for running backs, our honorable mention was uh, Silas Red, who had two really, really good seasons. And then that, that phenomenal 2011 season as a true sophomore. 
Um, also, Journey Brown earned an honorable mention. Um, came on really strong towards the end of his career, uh, and excuse me, end of the season. Um, and a guy who I think can have a really, really prominent place on the uh, on the 2020 decade list, uh, assuming he stays for two more years. So at number five, we had uh, we had Bill Belton, the ball carrier. Uh, never forget. Uh, at number four, we had Evan Royster. Uh, but it's important that everybody keeps in mind that this was just for the decade, so only Evan Royster's 2010 season counts. Um, I get that doesn't really tell the whole picture, but it would be kind of weird if we included. He had to include Royster because um, the 2010 season was pretty good. But to, to list stats going back as far as 2007, I, I thought would have been kind of weird. So just Royster's 2010 season. Number three, uh, Zach Zwinak, uh, the human bowling ball himself, who has one receiving touchdown in his career. And I remember it because he basically dropped it. And I don't know how it stood. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, number two was Miles Sanders. Uh, unex- you know, anyone could have seen that coming. And number one, to nobody's surprise, was none other than Mr. Saquon Barkley. Um, who was a unanimous selection uh, as first team running back. I will say I did take a little bit of, uh, I I didn't totally agree with the way that this voting came out. Um, I, for me, I think Silas Red belongs on this top five. I think what he did in his two seasons is better than what Bill Belton did. I, I mean, he rushed for, basically identical yards on like 30 fewer carries only had five fewer touchdowns in two fewer seasons. Yeah. I, I really like Bill Belton. I, I think he, especially the way that he was willing to shift from receiver to running back was very admirable, but I think we're just talking talent and what they did on the field. I think Silas red should have been on that team. I also think journey Brown should have been on that team. I think what he did this season was, arguably i mean from october on he was i i think his october on may have been the best kind of stretch of football that we've seen from any penn state running back outside of saquon barkley in kind of a similar time frame so i think both those guys belonged on that on this uh on this list and i honestly i don't think royster does i think evan royster's 2010 was a solid season but he averaged under five yards a carry he scored only six touchdowns I know the 2010 team wasn't, they weren't world beaters, but they were a solid team. And I I just, I, I would have wanted more from him in order to put him on that team. I, you know, 2010, I know was the year he broke the record and he still is Penn state's all time rushing leader, but I, I, he's a historic player, but I don't think he was a top five player of this decade. Yeah. Uh, for, for reference, Royster in 2010 alone carried the ball 208 times in, uh, in Miles Sanders, whole career, he carried it 276 times. Um, so that, that tells a lot. Uh, I actually left Royster off my list. Again, this is just counting his 2010 season. Cause that's the only one that happened in the decade. And I actually left, um, Bill Belton on here at number five. And I think I had Silas read at number four because that t- uh, 2011 season was so special. Yeah. I, I would, I'd be totally fine with that. Um, I do love that we both had Zach Zwinak at three. I, <laughs> I, he is the most unremarkable guy, but... His entire career was the funniest thing to me because he's the most just... He's the last Penn State running back that's going to have absolutely zero athletic ability, but it's just going to want to run you over. Um, yep. I, I, I loved watching him. That was right at the onset of, of my Penn State fandom around like, uh, 2010, 2011, 2012. Like, those years were like the ones where I got really into it uh, to the level I am now. And I just remember Zach Zwinak was like... 
yeah, straight up, what if a guy just didn't know how to do anything, but just just didn't just didn't feel pain? That was Zach Swinnick's entire career, and he just he deserves to be number three. He was for as, as many good running backs as we ha- as we have had. He absolutely deserves his number three spot. I will also love how morally opposed he was to wearing gloves, even though he had some fumble issues. It'll always make me laugh. Watch, watch the go find the video of his touchdown catch. He straight up catches it, puts two feet down to where it's registered to catch, and then drops it immediately. I have no idea how it stood because he does not have gloves on. It's like the most dinkiest pass uh, in the. Uh, what end zone would that be? The non-student section end, end zone. I don't know which way that would be facing. The north end zone. The north end zone. And it, it's one of the absolute funniest things ever. Yeah, if, if you have time to go go look that play up, that play's hysterical. When you look back on it, it's it's kind of funny that he was Bill O'Brien's running back because, you know, when you think about Bill O'Brien, you think, like, flash plays. You think about big plays, really kind of high-volume receivers. You think of a high-octane offense. And then there was Zach Zwinak running the football in that offense. But, you know, he traded for Carlos Hyde this year in the NFL. So maybe that's maybe that's what he wants. That is maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. Like I said, Zach, Zach Zwinak walked. So uh, so Derrick Henry could run. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Peyton Hill has crawled before all of them. <laughs> I did not expect a Peyton Hill as reference. I mean, it's pretty hard not to when we're talking about Zach Zwinek. That's true. Zwinek, in every way, Zwinek was just baby Hillis. That's very true. I'll I'll never forget, too, the... I guess it was before the... I want to say before the 2013 season, because I think Zwinek had already been kind of established as a as a, uh, as a as the starting running back. I, I was at one of the preseason practices in Haluba Hall, and the first thing I noticed, who was back there taking punt return reps... Zach Zwinak. Oh my, could you imagine a Zach Zwinak punt return? I would, I, honestly, I imagine a gunner would just bounce off of him. Like, I think the second guy, <laughs> I think the second guy would get him down no problem. Like, I think he would just be, he would exert all his energy. Like, uh, yeah, like he just got a star in Mario in the first one. And then the second one is right when it ends, he gets hit by a blue shell. I don't think he ever actually got a chance to return a punt in the game, but just even seeing those reps was just a magical, magical moment for me. Wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm very jealous. I didn't get to see that. <laughs> All right. Tell us about wide receivers. I think this is this is probably the least controversial list that we've had. Yeah. Well, wide receiver for me actually was a pretty open and shut case. All five of my picks ended up in the same slot um, that they ended up finally in. Um, so our honorable mention went to Saeed Blacknall. Um, not the most consistent guy, but just a guy who routinely came up with big plays when Penn State uh, needed them most. Um, that 2016 Big Ten Championship game that he had um, will live on forever. Uh, number five was Derek Moy. Uh, Derek Moy, again, was right at the uh, right at the onset of my Penn State fandom. And I saw on TV, someone in the student section had a t-shirt that said, Derek is Moy BN. No, thought, no, no. Derek S. Moy BN. Derek S. Moy BN. And that's, that was still the funniest thing ever to me. Number five, Derek Moy. Uh, number four, KJ Hamler. Uh, number three, Deshaun Hamilton. Number two, Chris Godwin. And number one is Mr. Allen Robinson. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, Deshaun, Godwin, and Robinson all received first place votes, um, but it was uh, very clear um, as to what order they were going to shake out in. Yeah, when I was doing this voting, I actually I found myself being able to build a pretty good case for Deshaun Hamilton as the best receiver of the decade just because of his consistency over four years. I mean, he started out, what, as an 82-catch guy as a true freshman? Or, uh, sorry, yeah, he, a retro freshman. He was insane. Me. He was insane that first year. Yeah, so it's, you know, I, I think there's a case to be made, but when you kind of when you jump outside the numbers, Allen Robinson was the most dominant receiver that Penn State has seen 
in a long time. He could win any one-on-one. He, I think the funniest thing about A-Rob is that he, like, his juke moves in the open field, it, it, it kind of looked like a guy, like, trudging through molasses, and yet it he he burned every guy that came in front of it. Like, his trademark thing was running on the sideline, waiting for the safety to get close, and then just taking one slow step and somehow splitting the safety in the corner. And I will never understand how it worked so well because it, it didn't look like it should, but it, it makes it makes me laugh a lot when I go back and watch those highlights. Yeah, I'll always remember Alan Robinson as uh, as the guy who caught all the screen passes. Straight up, that that twenty twelve and twenty those those seasons, A Rob made a living off off the midline screen. And again, he was not the most quick or agile guy. He he was good at that, but the fact that he was always able to just make one guy miss and then he was gone. He, it seemed like he ripped off like a 20 or 20 plus yard gain on the screen pass in every single game he played in. I think the best kind of summation of Allen Robinson on screen and really Penn State on screens this decade in general, both involve A-Rob, the, fir- the kind of the downside, the bad side of it being when he, <clears throat> although I take it back, this wasn't a screen, this is the double reverse, but in the Michigan quadruple overtime game, Robinson fumbled the double reverse, So, but that wasn't a screen, so that's not making my point. But... In 2013, when Penn State just got hammered by Ohio State and Columbus, Robinson had maybe the wildest touchdown Penn State scored this decade, took a screen pass, maybe took a few steps forward, and then reversed course and just traveled the entire like width of the field to get all the way around to the other end and ended up in the end zone. He, he must have run like 175 yards on the play. It was so absurd, and it was... It was perfect, Allen Robinson. Just perfect. Yeah, that I I remember that play because it would show up on like highlight videos, and I'm just like, that's that's a game you shouldn't really. It's cool that it happened, but uh, yeah, let's please let's, please please stop. don't show anything else from it, yep. please. Yep. Um, I think Godwin Godwin's a pretty safe number two. Also, he's I know we just talked about Godwin before. I don't, his numbers, I don't think necessarily were as prolific as you might expect from a guy who's doing what he's doing in the in the NFL now but you know you also keep in mind he played on he played on some teams that had Saquon Barkley, Mike Gesicki like they were they were spreading the targets out pretty evenly in those years and John Donovan in in the Don Donovan years uh but Godwin really really second only to Allen Robinson in terms of just being able to go up and beat a dude to the ball that was his specialty was he was always McSorley could always throw it up to Godwin and trust that he was going to come down with it. And he, that's something that honestly Penn State has lacked since he, since he left. Yeah. And I, I like your point. I think it was important for all of us on the staff that this quickly didn't become, okay, who had the best stats? Like he's number one, he's number two. I think all of us really took our time and, and really thought about, all right, who had the most pure talent. And I, I think Godwin is a very clear number two here. And he, he, he still did produce his numbers were not anything to scoff at by, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, um, we talked about Hamilton. So jumping down to number four, KJ Hamler. You know, I if Hamler stayed another year, I think he probably would have a chance to pass Hamilton on this list. Of course, that'd be that would be the year two thousand twenty, so it wouldn't count for this these purposes. But I I think the thing with KJ Hamler is that his his impact is always going to be more than what he did at receiver. I think he he was a great receiver in his own right. He did some really great things from his spot there, but. You, you really have to factor in his work as a return man also to really get the full story of him. And, you know, he, he wasn't perfect. He dropped some passes. And he also, I think, was the 
it's the opposite of beneficiary. He 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 did not have the benefit of playing with a guy like Robinson or Godwin or Derek Moy to kind of draw attention off of him. I think it's hard to put up the types of numbers that would have you pass a Hamilton, a Godwin, or a Robinson when you're KJ Hamler, when you're, yeah, you can beat anyone in open space, but when you're that kind of small of a dude and defenses are keen on keen in on you, it can be a little difficult to be as prolific as those other guys. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, we're going to have a uh, specialist is coming out uh, on Monday and we, we did lump returners in there as well. So I would bet you're going to see his name pop up again very soon. That's Who called, knows? That's called foreshadowing. Um, but no, yeah, KJ was great. Uh, I, like I said uh, on the last time I was on the podcast and we were talking about him declaring uh, he was the perfect guy uh, for Penn State post Saquon Barkley. Uh, because he was a receiver, he was able to kind of escape from being in the shadow of Saquon. And he, he was exactly the same kind of player in that every time he touched the ball, you just felt like something big was going to happen. So... He was a great guy, a great player. Um, really excited for him to go off the NFL. Uh, I think he fits perfectly in here at number four. I think this is exactly where he belongs, which is, is just a really big testament to the amount of uh, talent and production we got out of uh, the three guys ahead of him on the list. And I will say, putting Hamler at four really meant something to me because I really, really loved Derek Moy. And he. Oh, I love Derek Moy. He is still responsible for my personal favorite play of the decade. What was uh, that? I think, it, I think it was actually in. I think it was in 2010, so it may have been slightly before you would have been watching. But let's see, what did I? I think I actually wrote it down here. Yeah, 2010 Senior Day against Michigan State. Penn State was down. Uh, I want to see like 12 or 13. Yeah, 12 or 13. They had third and uh, third and five or something, maybe longer, right near the goal line. And Moy goes Moy goes into the end zone for a pass. Um, McGloin drops back and throws. It's not a great pass. Gets tipped up, batted around, and Michigan State picks it off. And granted, there's like a minute and a half left, so I don't know what this kid was doing trying to take it out of the end zone in the first place. But he does. He runs around the end, and when he finally when he gets caught by defenders, which happened or by the original offense, which happens to be right around the line of scrimmage where Penn State was, Derek Moy just runs in and just rips the ball out of his hands and falls down with it. So Penn State ends up with a first down as a result. And then the next play, a Derek Moy catches a touchdown pass. It was the, as a Seahawks fan, I, one of my favorite players of all time is Steve Largent, who's maybe defining moment in the NFL is the time that he just, after an interception, just ruined a defensive back's world and leveled him and picked up the fumble. That was Derek Moy, Steve Largent moment, and it is one of my all-time favorite plays. Yeah, that's a that's a really heads-up play. Derek Moy, um, he was really good. He was like the first. He was actually my first favorite player in, in those years. Uh, he was a really good go up and get it guy. Um, you know, last on the NFL for a little bit. Um, he's now a uh, he's a coach now in uh, Western Pennsylvania. I want to say um, yeah. Beaver something. So, hope that helps. So good for Derek Moy. Hope that helps let you know where he coaches. I don't remember. Um, yeah, I think he's perfect number five. I don't think anyone else really comes close. Again, this is the exact same order I had him in. I think this is this is the perfect list for top five. Honestly, my favorite thing to come out of doing this voting is that I got to reminisce about Derek Moy. So thank you for that. Yeah, that was a big reason I wanted to do this series because I thought it would be a really fun way for us to go back and just think about a lot of these guys who were like, oh, yeah. Like, he was really fun. Like, he, and as somebody who put together the, the voting list, I got to go even, like, further down, like, a rabbit hole to think about a lot of these kind of guys, just to decide who I want to put on the ballot. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun to put together, especially to go back and be able to watch some, watch some Derek Moy highlights. On that grainy early 2010s footage. 
we love it. All right, moving on. Tell me about tight ends. Yes, moving on to tight ends. So um, our honorable mention went to uh, went to Mr. Nick Bowers, um, who really had a lot of. I, I've said this before, and I know, I know Nick will agree with this because he's Nick Bowers' number one fan. There's an alternate universe where Nick Bowers is a two time All American and wins the Mackey. He was he was so supremely talented. His high school tape is unreal. Um, just suffered a lot of injuries, but uh, really had a really strong senior season. So so good for him. All right, so number five, you have Adam Brenneman, um, a, a former five-star prospect. Uh, his career, like Bowers, didn't really pan out due to injuries, um, but he he got a, well, go, we got a lot of bang for his buck when he when he did make some plays. Uh, number four was Kyle Carter. Uh, his 2012 season was fantastic. He was a freshman All-American, uh, and then went on to be a pretty good contributor for three more seasons. Uh, number three was Jesse James, uh, the outlaw, a lot really fun guy. Number two, um, which I take, I take some. Some irk. I have some irk about this. Uh, number two was Pat Fryermuth, and number one was Mike Gesicki. Uh, I had Gesicki and Fryermuth flipped. I think Fryermuth has done enough and is a more complete tight end, so I had him in the number one spot. Um, but Gesicki is one of the best, if not the best, receiving tight ends in school history and was absolutely unstoppable when he was on his best. Yeah, I don't actually remember who I put first between Fryermuth and Gesicki. I, I could make a pretty easy argument for either one. Gesicki was a definitely a more prolific receiver. Um, of course, Fryermuth still has one more year, uh, I guess potentially two, but almost surely one more year to prove otherwise. But I don't think he's going to be able to catch catch up to what Gesicki did during his time. But like you mentioned, Fryermuth is definitely a better all-around tight end. Fryermuth is a fantastic blocker, and that's something that Gesicki never really, he never really reached that plateau. Um, although his, his block um, against Wisconsin on the second side blackmail touchdown in the big 10 yeah the uh the first yeah. one in the third quarter yeah yeah that that was an all-time all-time play by gasicki that he doesn't get enough credit for because mcsorley was dead to rights and that was a long developing play that needed time so that was a huge block but i Frymouth is definitely a better all-around tight end at this point but i mean the gasicki really the penn side offense in 2016-17 was very spoiled because you had two guys, especially in 60, you had two guys in Godwin and uh, Gesicki who you could throw anywhere near their area and you knew they were going to come down with it. I think Fryermuth has has a little bit of that in him, but it's not the same level as Gesicki. Gesicki is a true, a true matchup beater, where I think Fryermuth excels in finding the open space in the field. It's a little, little bit of a different skill set. Yeah, that's fair. I, I also think Fryermuth, uh, so I did have a number one, um, can just muscle through dudes. I think he, he, I think he can go up there and I think he can make the 50, 50, 50, 50 catches. Um, he's never been put in that situation, but I, I think if you put him in a one-on-one opportunity and he has to try to go through the guy or, or beat him, I think Fryman is a good enough athlete to, uh, to beat him a lot of different ways. Yep. Yep. I'd agree. Um, my only other quip with this list was like you mentioned, I think Nick Bauer should have been number five over Adam Brenneman. I think, had Brenneman stayed healthy and been able to stay at Penn State a while longer, I think he very easily could have been as high as number three on this list. He was an unbelievably talented football player, but he just didn't play very much. And I think Nick Bowers, even though he his time was so limited due to injuries, I, I think what he did in his limited time was better than anything Brenneman did. And Bowers is also a more well-rounded player, but I it, it's... It's it's not that huge of a deal to me, even though you're right. I Nick I am number one in the Nick Bowers fan club, and I hope he has a very long and fruitful NFL career. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then you know, no real qualms with with James or Carter. I think they're in the right spots. 
Yeah, yeah, they're fine. If only Kyle Carter had done anything after his freshman season. Hey, listen, he caught the uh, walk-off pinstripe ball. He did. He did. The best, the best play call that John Donovan ever made. The fake jet sweep. To so far, so fake far, jet sweep Nicholas. Play action to Kyle Carter. Are you excited to, that John Donovan is now in your local market? I'm, I'm excited to tell people in my local market about why it was a terrible decision. All right. Well, I hope, I hope Washington is at least a little bit fun. But it would be I, also, it would also, it would also be really funny if they were just terrible and John Donovan hasn't learned a thing. He'll be better than he was at Penn State. I think we. He was at Penn State at a very difficult time. They had very little talent. They had a terrible offensive line. Uh, for all we know, kind of those early years, maybe there was a mandate from Franklin to kind of be more conservative, just get wins to get to a bowl game. You know, who really knows? But I, I hope he is better for Washington as long as they're not playing the Cougs. John Donovan made me, made me more mad than I've ever been in my life. My first game at Penn State was the 2015 Temple game where they lost. And uh, I remember we, we, it was like our third week of school and we all crammed into like the common room on seventh floor of Curtin. Shout out Curtin Hall. If you live, if you lived in Curtin Hall, you, you know what's up. I don't know what that means, but Curtin Hall was great. Um, we all crammed in there to watch the game and that was like the most dead silent we've ever been until a buddy of mine whose girlfriend went to Temple called him immediately after the game and I've never heard a door slam as loudly as the one to that, to that common room that he walked out to take the call. Well, you know what, Matt? I had to sit through that game in Philadelphia in person. So oh, I'm so I don't sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did meet I did meet Carl Nassib's family that day, though. They were tailgating right near us, and that was his breakout season. Was so. was was Ryan Nassib there? No, he was not. He was he was on the Giants at that time. Yeah, I think he had just been drafted. Actually, yeah, good for him. Yeah, cool. All right, all right. Moving on. The offensive line. The weirdest voting. I yeah, think. this was this was so weird to build the, the just nobody knew who to vote for anything here, and it was hysterical. Um, so honorable mention we have we have uh, Brendan Mann, who I think is just a victim of a, a very porous offensive line timing. Uh, I think if he would have stayed at the position he began his career at, he he would have been really really high on this list. But he had to bounce around a lot just because Penn State was playing like converted defensive linemen and like one star prospects basically uh so number five we have ryan bates uh, uh basically a three-year contributor three-year starter who, uh, who was really solid for them number four we have connor mcgovern uh, another three-year contributor uh number three we have john urschel who was uh, an absolute fan favorite during his time in happy valley number two we have donovan smith um probably the guy on this list um Maybe the guy at number one has a, has a case to this, who has gone on to have the most professional success. And number one, we have Stefan Wisniewski. Um, but again, like Evan Royster, uh, his 2010 season is the only one that counts, but he was an All-American that season. So it, it's hard to argue against him being number one here. Yeah, in a decade where, honestly, I don't think any Penn State lineman stood out really in any notable way. I think Wisniewski has to be the number one, just because what he did was so far, so far and away better than anyone else. I think Donovan Smith is somebody that we look back on in a really positive light, but I think a lot of that is because he's gotten better since he got to the NFL. He yeah, he was fine while he was at Penn State, but he definitely took some plays off. I mean, he he was consistent. I'll give him that. He he was the starter at left tackle for at least two years, and that means something. But this it's it's not it's not a terribly inspiring group. 
No, not not by any stretch of the imagination. I wanted to put CJ Thorpe on here simply because of the uh, <laughs> of the video of him when Brandon Smith demolishes the guy against Idaho and he just falls to his knees. Um, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, this one this one was so weird. Every, everything about uh, everybody. If you basically you name a Penn State offensive lineman in the past ten years and they probably got a vote at like number five. It was <laughs> it was a mess. So, uh, but I think with uh, with Trout Wine or however you say it. Troutwein. Uh, I think this list will be much better in in twenty in the twenty twenties. Yeah, I think. God forbid we're still doing this a decade later, but if we when we do our twenty twenty voting or for the twenty twenty decade, I, I mean I would expect to see Rashid Walker on that list. I think. Um, I would expect to be see Michael Mennett. I I think I actually voted for Mennett on this list. You know, I, I think a guy like the, the name that really stands out to me on this list, aside from Wisniewski, is Connor McGovern. I think if he had had a little more consistency, I mean, he played a different position every year. If he had had the chance to just stick at one spot for his three years he was on campus, I think he would have had a pretty good case for being number two. But, you know, there also is something to be said for his versatility, and that versatility is partly what got him drafted in the second round by the Cowboys. And hopefully he's able to fully recover for next year and claim a spot on that line because that'd be a great feather in Penn State's cap to be able to point to him as a NFL success yeah I agree so there you have it that is the Penn State offensive team of the decade again we will put all of that together should we go should I just do it now should I give people a little uh, a little tease before we pan it out a little bit in the uh go in the article it. so your starting offensive line is going to be let's put him by position so we're going to have Ryan Bates at right tackle Connor McGovern uh probably at right guard uh, Stefan Wisniewski at center and John Urschel at left guard with Donovan Smith at left tackle. That works out remarkably well. Right? Isn't that funny? That's a uh, that's a pretty decent, that's a pretty good offensive line. I'm happy with that. I would I would take that line. Yep. Uh, tight end, we're going to have Mike Gesicki uh, at receiver. Penn State doesn't have a fullback, so we're going to go three receiver set. So it's going to be Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and Deshaun Hamilton. At running back, it's going to be Saquon Barkley, and at quarterback, it is going to be Trace McSorley. So pretty, and then if we want to throw an all-purpose in there, I think that distinction would have to go to KJ Hamler. So that is a that is a pretty good offense, and it's very funny to me that a lot of these guys come uh, post Joe Moorhead or around Joe Moorhead's time, and that just kind of shows the uh, the evolution of the Penn State offense, uh, what we had when this decade began, uh, to what we have as we enter 2020. Yeah, really does. I, I do lament the fact that we didn't do a miscellaneous category where we include fullbacks and lions and just so we get, get a chance to get Tommy Stevens and Mike Zorich some recognition. I was talking about this with someone the other day. When I when I kind of watch the when I watch the 49ers and I see the way they use Kyle Uzcheck, I would have been really fascinated to see the ways that Joe Moorhead could have been able to use Mike Zorich in an offense. Oh my god. I can't even get to fathom. I, I honestly like just knowing the Moorhead offense and how how fast it ran and how little two tight two running back sets they ran. I'd I'd be fascinated to see what they did with him. Now that you say that, I I don't think I don't think them or any team needs a fallback. But when you're able to use them the way that San Francisco uses Usechek, and you know a lot of that is to Usechek's credit. I mean, you could probably line up as tight end and be just fine. But it is it, it's an interesting it's a really interesting combination of kind of the newer offense with the older, the the way that they use him. And I don't know. It's it's an interesting thought to see how he could have been used. All right, Nick, I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. On the record, 
Do you wish Penn State had a fullback? <laughs> I can't. I can't say I do. No. I say. I say yes. I wish Penn State had a fullback. Mainly. Well, all right. All right. Well, let me let me rephrase. I don't think they need one, and I really enjoy the way that they use Pat Frymouth, especially near the goal line, kind of as like a pseudo fullback. Would I enjoy if they had like some 280 pound long hair dude who can line up at fullback? Absolutely, I would. Yeah, I wish. I wish. Uh, I'll go on record here. Call me. Call me. Whatever. Call me old. Call me old fashioned. I want Penn State on the fullback. And this is where we make our official plea to um, Kirk Kirk Chiraka to line up Micah Parsons as a fullback this year. Yep. Do it. Do it. And Rob, we lost our chance with Robert Windsor. Don't don't let us lose our chance with Micah. Oh man. Actually, in that, oh, I'll save that. I'll save that for the defensive. That's a defensive player story. I'll save that one. Um, yeah. So I think that pretty much does it, Matt. That's our that's our all decade offense for Penn State. Um, next week we'll do the all defensive team, and then we'll mix mix it all together, mash it up, and give you the official Penn State team of the decade per Roar Lines Roar, which of course is the only only real opinion that matters, right? Yes, very true. Uh, our opinions, of course, mean more. And uh, this voting, of course, should be taken very seriously. And um, absolutely, this is this is this is canon. This is confirmed. This will go on the wall in the Lash Building. Um, so please, again, take this very seriously. It's a very important matter. I think some would say that our uh, our opinions are <clears throat> unrivaled. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't want to brag, but uh, my name is is currently on two plaques um, on College Avenue. So it's only natural that that my opinion should carry more weight. Can you name the two locations with my uh, with my name on a plaque? Do they do plaques for Fifty Five Days of Cafe? They do do plaques. That's the one. Okay, so that's one. Name is in Cafe Two Ten. Hope my parents oh. are proud. A plaque? What else? What do you have? What else? I I have no idea. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. But I am oh. the I am the February two thousand nineteen Lions Pride Employee of the Month. So, for for two very different two very different reasons, my name is on a plaque. I'll say those are <coughs> those are very competing interests there. I'm very proud. Shortest month of the year, and I still made it. Very proud of you. Thank you. You have anything else to talk about in this episode? Uh, nothing else coming up. Yeah, like like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we'll find out here in a couple days what uh, what Shaka Tony and Lamont Wade's decisions are. Uh, spring workouts are starting up. Um, early enrollees have arrived. Uh, do you have a early enrollee you're excited about, and what number do you hope they get? Ooh, that's a great question. Hold on, let me pull up. Let me pull up our list here of early. Enrollees. Should, we, should we actually go through the early enrollees real quick, just so everybody? Uh, sure. Everybody, yeah, go for let it. me go back and let me find that actually. So um, early enrollees. So they arrived, of course, this week with classes starting up. Hi, Blitz. Um, so loud. Shout out! Shout out to your dog. Um, okay, so Theo Johnson, Enzo Jennings, Keandre Lambert. Uh, is it? Kaiseya Holmes, Kaiseya Holmes from Florida, or one of the two. Uh, Cole Brevard, Jaden Dutton, uh, Joseph Johnson, Tyler Elston, uh, Bryce Mostella, Fatorma Mulba, and Nick Dawkins are Penn State's latest round. So That's right. I know who. This is easy. Yeah, I know who it is, too. Bryce, Bryce Mostella is my dude. What I hope he wears, honestly, I hope he wears number 69. I just think he's destined for it, and I think that would be hysterical. I hope he wears number one. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Just the six foot seven edge rusher wearing number. Wow, I really hope that happens. Wow, do I hope that happens. 
If you haven't taken the time to watch Bryce Mostella's commitment video, please clear your schedule. Go do that immediately because it is it's unlike anything you have ever seen. Or his Twitter in general. Like Penn State needs a new dude just to like shove a camera in their face. And I hope it's either it's Bryce Mostella or it's or it's Joseph Darkwa. Again, this is a very pro Joseph Darkwa's Instagram podcast. Uh, I hope Joseph Darkwa is an absolute monster this year for Penn State and sees the field even a little bit because he is hysterical. I'm going to try to find it really quickly here, um, Mostella, because Bryce Mostella, Bryce Mostella tweeted something right before signing day that just let me know that he is exactly, exactly who I wanted him to be. Let me scroll a little bit here and then Mostella. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through. I'm. It, it was it was something like he he said he was like when I walked in when I walked in the room at Penn State I heard Springsteen playing and I knew this was the place I wanted to be. I don't think I, I don't like know that. if it was Springsteen, but I, I remember it Bill, wasn't Bill, Bill it talk. wasn't Springsteen. He had a tweet yeah. um, on maybe Jan- it was Billy Joel. It, it may have been Billy. I don't think it was Billy Joel. He had a tweet on the uh, the sixth of January that just says I need to learn everything. <laughs> I love this kid. I lo- I love this kid. He is incredible. All all I want is success for him. It was That's all I want. It was uh, it was Frank Ocean. By the way, they were talking about Frank Ocean. <laughs> this kid, this kid is everything. Yeah, he's gonna be a star. He's gonna be a star. So, but any any early enrollee you think can make a really big impact? Just just to round it out real quick, to round it out with some non with some non nonsense. I think the biggest guy to make an early impact is gonna be uh, Keandre Lambert. Yeah, I, I think Lambert's an easy one because he's a receiver and Penn State needs receivers. Um, I could see Enzo, if Enzo Jennings is able to come in and, I mean, uh, why am I totally blanking on the name of our other starting safety? Jaquan Brisker. Jaquan Brisker. Jaquan Brisker was solid. I wouldn't say that he has a starting spot assured. If Enzo Jennings can come in and prove that he can be a real center fielder, I don't see why he couldn't play. Um, and then I'll, I guess... Just because it's another position of need, Cole Brevard at defensive tackle. Um, I think really any defensive tackle on the roster, I think, has a chance to make a move for a starting spot alongside P.J. Mustafer. I think Antonio Shelton was fine. I don't think he was a world beater or anything. So I, I think a defensive tackle like Brevard could make a move. Yeah, I think I think Brevard was always going to be a yellow light, and I think it's really hard for a guy to play along the defensive line as a true freshman. But uh, getting to campus a whole, what is it, six months early is going to go a long way for him. So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, that's all I got as well. So, please make sure you are following Roar Lions Roar on Twitter, at RLR Blog. Follow us on Instagram. Are we at RLR Blog on that also? We are indeed. May Actually, that's a great... I should know that because I run the Instagram. Well, either way, you can find it by searching Roar Lions Roar, I'm sure. Um Make sure you are reading the site. We're continuing with our all-decade series. Like I said, tomorrow, Friday, we will release our top five safeties of the decade. And might I say, it is my favorite graphic I've made yet, so please check it out. Excuse me. Um, As always, you can listen to Roar Lions Radio on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean. Anywhere podcasts are fine, you can find us. Please be sure to leave us a like and a, or sorry, a subscription and a review on iTunes if you can. It helps more people find the show. Um, it also helps if you do that on Spotify. That's a big one. So please take the chance to do that. 
Um, and like I said, we will be more consistent with our podcasting this offseason going forward. You can expect a new episode every Wednesday, give or take a couple days. You know how things come up, but we will try to be consistent. Um, and I'm looking forward. I hope you're looking forward to it too, Matt. I'm looking forward to a a weird, informative, and fun offseason of podcasts. I I am looking forward to this podcast of as I as I have officially dubbed uh, this this series um, RLR Coast to Coast. Again, <laughs> you are in Seattle. I am in Florida. It's only natural that we are spreading the word of Penn State athletics to the fine people on the continental United States. If you are outside of that, or in Hawaii or Alaska you're allowed on board too. Just wait until we do our full month of only Northwestern coverage. It's going to be great. Oh my God. Oh, I went to a uh, uh, real quick story. I went to Chicago um, for, for New Year's Eve and a big part of me just wanted to go around to like the local people and ask them what they thought about Pat Fitzgerald and record it. <laughs> and, but I think my girlfriend would have been really upset with me if I spent the entire time just talking about Pat Fitzgerald, the people who probably don't care. You know, that's a business decision and I respect it. It was, a, it was a smart decision on my part. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, let's get out of here. Once again, follow Roarlands Roar wherever you can. Read the site. Buy some shirts. They're great. Uh, thanks for listening. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, thank you all for listening. Go Stage. Go Stage. Hey, 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 things might go away.